news drives markets. And every day, Montel's experienced reporters are on top of the stories that shape European market developments. Can you afford to miss out? Go to montelnews.com for the latest price-driving stories and a free trial. Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. This week's pod returns to the oil market, the most global and most traded energy commodity. Prices crashed to $15 a barrel at the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic in April, but have since recovered to about $45 a barrel. My name is Richard Swarrison, and here to help us understand current market dynamics and the outlook going forward is Paolo Rodriguez Masiu, who's Senior Analyst at Restart Energy. A warm welcome to you, Paola. Yeah. Hi. Hello, Richard. Thanks for having me. No worries. Oh, it was always good to talk oil at the old markets. It's a big driver of the whole energy complex. So I think we just jump straight into it and, and discuss what's happening in the market at the moment. So prices for Brent crude are hovering around $46 a barrel, near near level seen in early March. What are the main drivers at the moment? Is it all COVID-19 and OPEC? Yeah, well, at the moment, a lot of things are happening in the market. They have never been a more exciting time to be an analyst. On the one hand, you have the COVID-19 crisis, which took down about 30% of the entire world's oil demand. And on the other hand, you have OPEC failing first to put together an agreement to control the output, just to then meet once again when the COVID-19 crisis just uh, struck to managing to perform the biggest balancing act ever seen by the oil markets, taking out of the market about 10 million barrels per day of supply. And most recently, right now, you also have the threat of a double hurricane hitting the U.S. Gulf Coast infrastructure, both production and also refineries. On the last days, one of the hurricanes was actually uh, downgraded to the tropical storms, but you still have Laura, which is just gaining strength and is just heading towards the heart of the U.S. Gulf Coast refinery infrastructure. And this has injected a zone of steam to the markets. Uh, previously, the oil prices were just stuck on the meat, $40 per barrel range. And right now, due to the storm, that have injected some steam to the prices again and managed the prices to increase a little bit. So, I mean, the storms then have, have shut in about, what, 1.5 million barrels a day or 14% of US crude production. Is How long do you expect this to, to continue to have an impact on the oil market? Yeah, we expect that the production shutdowns are going to last for about two weeks because we don't expect that the operators are going to be able to bring back the personnel between the storms. But the production side of the effects on the production side, the production curtailments, are likely going to be offset by the demand side being knocked down, because it's not only that this hurricane is going to affect production, but it's also going to hit demand as it's prompting the refineries in the U.S. Gulf Coast to shut down their facilities. Do you then expect prices to inch up towards 50 or what are your price expectations here? Yeah, to be honest, we don't expect 
prices to move too much. I think that prices are really stormborn locked on the mid $40 per barrel range because at the moment traders are being very cautious. Because the, at the same time that you have the hurricane uh, going on, which normally would have been a positive shock to prices, uh, you have still the threat of the COVID-19 crisis and also demand falling because of this threat and the number of cases spiking. So we basically see that traders are just being very cautious at the moment on the way they react to any external shock. I think we return to a lot of these factors, Paola, but what would it take for oil prices to break out of this kind of mid-40s range, both on the upside and the downside? Well, what it will take for oil prices to increase at the moment is to get rid of all the inventory that we have been building since late March, basically. Right now, both crude and also products inventories are uh, at, at historical high levels in pretty much uh, all the regions. They have been decreasing during June and during July, thanks to the efforts of OPEC Plus and also due to the United States shutting down a lot of production for economical reasons. But inventories are still at historical high levels. And if we actually want to see any material recovery in the old prices, we will have to deplete all the storage that we have right now. And uh, how likely is that? At the moment, it's not very likely because we've seen that the, that the demand recovery have run out of steam. So right now, the demand or the oil demand, the global oil demand have recovered for the bottom it reached during April 2020. But we don't see demand really recovering forward. I think that we are already in sort of the new normal for the next two years and the demand growth will be quite limited. And then demand growth is also threatened by the possibility of a second wave on COVID-19 cases that will cause the demand even go lower. So for the next uh, year or during the next year, we don't really expect to see any big drop in the storage levels. And we actually see that prices are going to start recovery somewhere on the, by the end of 21 and the beginning of 22. You know, for a good year, then uh, we're still seeing very low prices then. I mean, it's uh, what you're saying here, Paolo, is we're not out of the woods yet in terms of demand recovery. We are not out of the woods yet. The prices that we're seeing right now on the mid $40 per barrel range are the prices that we expect to see for the next uh, year or, or so. Okay, so it's, it's interesting because I think... Um, you know, obviously, uh, a vaccine is also for the for the COVID-19 uh, virus is, is a key factor here. But because some would say maybe the 21 prices are, are low and maybe some participants could buy these contracts at a bargain. What would you say to that kind of view? Yeah, um, I don't think that it's only the vaccine and the possibility of having a vaccine soon. But it's also the behavioral changes that COVID-19 have introduced on the structure of the oil demand. You basically have people that have been uh, locked down and working from home for a very long time. And a lot of those people are very happy to go back to their offices, but uh, many others will gladly give away their daily commune on exchange to more flexibility and being allowed to work from home. 
And the same happened with, with the aviation sector. Uh, I don't expect a lot of the business travels to come back anytime soon. First, because people are adapting very quickly to the new technologies and to video conferences and so on. And second, because you have also an economical pressure to business travels are expensive. And as companies have had a very hard period, it's very unlikely that they want, they will want their employees uh, to go back to the same level of traveling anytime soon. Absolutely. I mean, this raised the question of, are we going back to normal and what is the new normal that we're going yeah, into? Yeah, what is but, the new normal? Yeah, I mean, exactly. That, that's, that, that begs the question, I think, because we see that, uh, you know, second quarter economic figures were bleak across the globe. And there may be a risk that the second half of this year won't see much of a recovery. And, and do you think then all demand will remain weak until trade and economic indicators return uh, to sort of normal levels in quotation marks and travel restrictions are lifted or the other side of it can we even talk of of a return to normal amid the changing consumer habits and and the drive to sort of green the economy as as you mentioned we don't expect a material increase on demand on the fourth quarter of the year compared to the third quarter of the year so we believe that demand will stay more or less constant and even decline if the threats of a second wave become a reality. And we don't see demand levels coming back to pre-corona levels, coming back to 2019 levels, well into the second half of the 21. So we are talking about one year or one year and a half from now when we actually will start to see that demand, the global oil demand will be completely out of the woods. It's also then we can talk more mid to long term because, you know, for example, Japan, it used to be a huge oil importer. But uh, this year, the imports of oil are likely to be the lowest for 50 years. So it's different in a way to other markets. But you see a trend here, the COVID-19 shock, the growth of alternative transport and a decline of air travel. Is, would that be a fair assessment, uh, Paula? Yes, I think that's actually a very good point because in many ways, COVID-19 gives you already an idea of what the future for the oil demand might look like. So COVID-19 mostly impacted uh, the transportation sector. So it impacted the um, ability of people to move around and therefore it impacted all the fuels used in the transportation sector. Going forward, after we have a new means or new technologies for the transportation sector, then you could really see what happened to the total oil demand without the transportation sector or we losing that part of the transportation sector. And let's remember that the transportation sector makes up about 60% of the total liquids oil demand and the passenger vehicles are about 30%. So as the electrification of vehicle increases, most of the oil companies are at a threat, a very significant threat of losing a big chunk of their uh, oil demand. When is that likely to happen? In three years, five years, 10 years, two years even? Yeah, that is actually the big question. You know, like <laughs> I always <laughs> like to say to our clients that the um, energy transition has moved from being a big if to being now a when. You know, very few people now question whether or not we're going to have the transition. And the big question is now actually, when is that going to happen? In Reistet's opinion, the transition is the energy transition and therefore the peak oil demand 
is likely to happen within this decade, so before 2030. And and perhaps COVID-19 would accelerate uh, that peak oil demand in that transition. Fascinating stuff, I think, you know, when we're looking at the energy market of the, of the future. But if I can re- return to oil market dynamics, Paula, so, uh, and look more on the supply side. So you mentioned that the OPEC uh, and its allies, including Russia, have begun tapering their production cuts. So potentially you could say see more production coming to the market as, as demand maybe picks up a little bit. Can we expect to see more easing in production cuts or do we, do we expect things to stay more or less the same? Yes, that's a major threat. So right now in our base case a scenario, we'd actually uh, find that the oil market is going to start to balance by the second quarter of 2021. But this is uh, considering in our base case that OPEC plus will stick to the current quotas. But uh, as you correctly say so, uh, as the demand starts to come back, there is an imminent risk that countries will start to pump more crude than their quotas actually manage. And, and we already saw this before in April or when the OPEC plus deal uh, just uh, broke down and countries just starting to pump at historical levels crude oil because they couldn't agree on production cuts. And this could happen again and as we move forward in 21. And it's, of course, a very serious threat because by that time, by 21, countries or most of the countries in the OPEC Plus alliance will have been suffered from two major sins or two things at the same time. The first one is the lower oil prices, but at the same time, lower volumes. So, yeah. Mm, a double whammy for them, if you like, Paula. But, exactly, uh, yeah. yeah. For example, if we turn to other producers, what's your assessment what's happening in Libya at the moment? And what impact is that happening on, on, on the oil market? Yeah, Libya right now is a big wild card for the markets because if... The civil unrest right now going on in Libya comes to a resolution and they successfully manage to reach an agreement. Libya has the potential to bring back to the market 1.2 million barrels per day. So this is huge, especially considering how the press demand is at the moment. So these 1.2 million barrels per day uh, will be trouble for OPEC, especially considering that Libya is exempted from the supply cuts. What about uh, in the United States? We could see, you know, the oil rig count is, is increasing slightly. What, what, what's happening here? Yeah, in the United States, we see, well, what is happening right now is a bit different because we expect that production, of course, is going to decrease for the next two weeks because you have about 1.5 million barrels that were uh, shot in the Gulf of Mexico. But this will be something temporal. Uh, those volumes will come back before the end of September. And when these volumes come back, we see uh, U.S. production ramping up. We estimate that most of the volumes that were shut in uh, during the height of the COVID-19 crisis will already come back during August. Most of those volumes actually already are back. But what's happening is that the United States have a very particular, let's call it, production structure. They have a very high base decline. So even with all the volumes that were shown in coming back, 
the fact that they were not drilling during the last month of not drilling as much during the uh, last months means that they won't be able to compensate the huge base decline that they have. So as a consequence, even if uh, drilling restarts, even if the shut-in uh, wells come back, uh, the United States production won't go back to pre-COVID-19 levels anytime soon or at least not in the next two years. Yeah, and of course you have an additional wild card here, Paolo, which is uh, the election in November in the United States. I mean, could that also impact uh, some of the aspects which you've been talking about, about uh, the production of, of oil and fossil fuels? To be honest, we don't expect that the election will have a significant impact on the production of the United States. Let's remember that the chair's revolution happened under the Democrats' watch. You know, so having a Democrat or having a Republican will not uh, ultimately really change what is going on uh, in the uh, oil industry in the United States. Of course, Donald Trump have given to the industry tax rebates, a 14% tax rebate. That will, of course, uh, help uh, some companies to, Going forward, and if the Joe Biden uh, actually is elected in the next election, maybe some of these tax rebate might be reverted. But ultimately, we don't expect the election outcome to have such a big impact on the uh, final destiny or final outcome of the the American oil industry. Absolutely. Maybe potentially a Biden victory could impact the or could accelerate the electrification of certain parts of the US economy. But in, in terms of the oil market, you're saying it's, it's it'll be pretty much business as usual on, on, on if either Biden or Trump win then, if that's if I understand you correctly, Paula. Yes, exactly. If the Democrats come back to power, then, of course, they have the target of the rendering the United States carbon neutral by 2030, 2035. And, of course, this will accelerate the adoption of new technologies. But this will be happening anyways, uh, with or without really the support of Biden. It might accelerate it, but it will not uh, ultimately or meaningfully change it. Let's remember that right now, Texas, the hometown of oil, actually have the biggest electrical installation of wind and solar power in the United States. You know, the biggest production of wind come actually from Texas. So, and this is happening under Republican, under Trump. We don't really see a meaningful change. It perhaps will be accelerated, but the changes won't be really meaningful. If we switch to geopolitics, sticking with the US partly, um, so the US and China resume talks on, on the so-called phase one trade deal. Now, how likely is a trade deal and what impact would such an agreement between the world's biggest oil consumers have on, on the global oil market? Yeah, this is a really difficult question that you're asking me right now, you know. <laughs> okay. uh, that's, sorry about that. That's a difficult Put you on the spot one. a bit, yeah. sorry. <laughs> that's really the difficult one because the, the trade war, it hasn't been really beneficial for none of the parties involved. You cannot really call a real winner in this uh, trade war. And before the elections, you could argue that Donald Trump have a real incentive to try to reach a deal with China. But of course, he have the incentive to try to uh, reach a really good deal with China. 
And whether or not that will happen is very complicated to actually forecast, very complicated to foresee. There is a lot of tensions right now going on between the two countries. Right now, you really see sort of a commitment from the China side. They are really sort of showing some uh, uh, initiative that they actually want uh, this uh, um, deal to, to be sealed. They are increasing the energy imports from the United States on the crude side that almost doubling in September compared to August levels. So they have a real incentive or they're showing clear signs that they have an incentive to reach a deal. But also COVID-19 have made it really difficult for China to fulfill their commitments that they have acquired. Uh, it is very unlikely that China would actually manage to fulfill all the targets from, a, a, from buying commodities from the United States because um, basically the COVID-19 um, is uh, putting a stop on, uh, on a lot of the imports that, that China has. So, yeah, there's a, a lot of factors at play here, Paula. Thank you very much for a great overview of, of the drivers, both local and global, in the oil market uh, as it currently uh, stands in the current developments there. So thank you very much, Paula. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. So listeners, that's about all from the Montel Weekly Podcast this week. Remember to keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News and follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you and goodbye.